live from my man cave in Chesapeake, Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild. I'm your host, Blake, here to bring you the latest news, rumors, opinions, analytics, interviews, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, episode 91. This is your host, Blake. On this week's episode of MLS Gone Wild, I am joined by one of the pioneers of independent MLS podcasting, host of the MLS Aces podcast, and my good friend, Tom Sweezy. Tom, congrats on earning your first MLS Gone Wild call up, first of all. I'm not sure why it took this long, but welcome, and how are you doing tonight, my guy? I am. I, I'm. I could be better physically, you know. I uh, like we just said. I had COVID, um, but I'm. I'm doing great to be on here. If I can talk and I can talk about MLS, that just means I'm doing that much better. So I'm glad to be doing that with you. Um, I'm glad that this is my first. My my first appearance on the MLS Gone Wild podcast and Pioneer is very, very too much praise. I'm gonna just say I talk to myself once a week, and that's pretty much it. But thank you. But I, I appreciate it. No, you're a pioneer in my regard. I wasn't big into listening to the podcast game until a couple of years ago. And I started listening to MLS Aces and what you and Vaughn did. And it, it was great. And, you know, we partnered up in 2020. We've been talking ever since, but we got a lot closer over this last year. So we just hit the playoffs. We're both excited. I'm stoked to have you on the show, man. I mean, I, I, I'm excited to be here. I like, I like being guests sometimes on other people's podcasts because like there is it's a, less, it's a lot more relaxing. Yeah, exactly. I can just talk and give an opinion and you know, that's it. I don't have to kind of structure a show. That's your job. So Blake, you got it, man. Yeah. It's been a busy day. So I spent this last <laughs> hour structuring and you know, I also have to edit tonight. So yeah, being yeah. a guest is the way to go. Easy. You just do nothing. You just talk. That's it. It's great. Right or wrong, it's fun, man. So like I said, the Audi 2022 MLS Cup playoff quarterfinals are complete and the conference semifinals are set. The six quarterfinal matchups featured three come-from-behind wins, two penalty kick shootouts, and some utter dominant performances. Before we recap all the action and preview the conference semis, let's take a quick look back at the score lines from the MLS Gone Wild weekend that was so very on brand. So FC Cincinnati traveled to a rather empty Red Bull arena and completed the one and only upset in the first round, defeating the New York Red Bulls 2-1. to one. The MLS MVP playoff curse, or I assume it's going to be Hani Mukhtar, Hani Mukhtar and Nashville SC were eliminated by fellow MVP finalist Chicharito in the LA Galaxy. RSL damn near went and won as a seventh seed for the second straight year, but a red card, a late PK, and another Austin FC comeback sees Austin FC advanced to the Western Conference semifinals. Orlando, well, they ran the gauntlet on their way to lifting the U.S. Open Cup trophy earlier this summer, but their road to the MLS Cup final came to a screeching halt thanks to a dominant performance from the Kings of the North, CF Montreal. Tom, I think you'll like this one. The defending MLS Cup champs, the jersey you have on, your beloved New York City FC picked up where they left off last December with a 3-0 win over Inter Miami, marking an end to the late, great Gonzalo Higuain's career. Finally, last but not least, FC Dallas end the round in wild style with a come-from-behind 5-4 win in PKs over Minnesota United FC. Tom, before we start to recap and, and preview, what does your bracket look like? Because I'm still perfect. I am uh, I'm not perfect. I can definitely, definitely say that. Let's see. I had um, one, 
too wrong, too wrong. So, I mean, I know a lot of people out there are perfect. I'll give them the credit, but I definitely thought um, Nashville was going to do the, the deed against the Galaxy. I don't know, just was kind of riding Hani uh, Mukhtar's hot coattails there. Um, and then my other pick was the upset, another upset in the West with Minnesota over Dallas. Um, I like Dallas. I always like Dallas, but I don't know. One game playoff, Emmanuel Reynoso, easily one of the best top two, three players in the playoffs right now. I had picked him to have a magic game. He scored, but couldn't get the job done. So those are my two wrong picks. I know, I know you're, you're looking good on your end though. Yeah. I mean, but like you said, a lot of people are perfect. There was one upset. It was a five versus four seed. It wasn't really an upset. A lot of people saw it coming, but you know, some people pick MLS cup playoff brackets on just vibes as you did. I, you can justify anybody beating anybody in the MLS cup playoffs, but history has shown the home teams are better off, especially when they expanded to uh, the seven, seven team um, in each conference getting in. So, for sure. so let's take a deep dive into these recaps and previews. Uh, so for the recaps, I have a question or two about each matchup that we can discuss and debate. And listeners, please let us know your thoughts about these questions on social media at MLS Gone Wild. And Tom, where can they find you? At MLS Aces. You caught me on the water drink there. At MLS Aces everywhere. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, whatever. That's where I am. All right. So let's start in the East with the New York Red Bulls versus FC Cincinnati. We'll start with the losing side. The hosting New York Red Bulls under coach Gerhard Stuber have been known for their energy drink style of soccer. And statistically, hard word to say, it worked for them in this match. They forced FC Cincinnati into their second fewest completed passes and worst completed pass percentage of the year. On the other hand, FC Cincinnati conceded possession and allowed the New York Red Bulls the majority of the ball. The Red Bulls are winless this season versus playoff teams when they have had at least 50% possession and they stayed winless in this one for the 10th time in 13 straight years, making the playoffs, they are bounced in the playoff quarterfinals despite their fourth place finish. Do you think this display of tactical rigidity and inability to adjust puts Gerhard Struber on the hot seat this off season or what needs to change? So this team can make it past the quarterfinals in 2023? That's a deep, that's a deep question. So Struber, I don't think should be on the hot seat, which might be a hot take, but I really do think he is a very good manager and a very good, uh, a very good coach. Um, I personally have been to Red Bull two games where he's standing up in the the top of the stands, you know, like with fans and he's taking in all the young guys. Like he's very much aware of, of, the program he's very much aware of the players in his system um i do think tactically for the most part he does set up his team to to succeed um i think the bigger issue with the new york red bulls is that that rigidity to to just the pressing system that they play that high energy system over the course of an mls season where you're traveling so much and you're traveling long distances and then you by the time you get to the playoffs the red bull system just doesn't work whether the guys are the most fit highest running, most pressing players you're possibly going to find in an, um, for an MLS roster. That's great, but any player is going to be exhausted by, by this point of the season. So I think the Red Bull system works. I think that they should still follow that system, but good coaches, good teams adjust 
when they have to. And the Red Bull organization is a good organization. They've made the playoffs 13 straight years. And I wouldn't surprise me if it turns into 14, 15, 16. But I think at the end of the day, the organization needs to understand, okay, maybe we need to be a little bit more flexible. Maybe the system doesn't need to be played every game. Maybe there's stretches where we can adapt or, or whatever it may be. And at the end of the day, I do think they have the players to fit the system. But again, going back to my answer two seconds ago, the system I don't think is a, is a MLS Cup winning system. Um, I do think sometimes you need to have a little bit of magic, a little bit of an Emmanuel Reno, so a little bit of um, you know a, a Brenner, a, a Lucho Acosta, whoever you may look at as that kind of star. The Red Bulls need that because they haven't had that in, in a very, very long time, a decade. And, you know, that, that sometimes is a way to get you around having to press constantly, is having a little bit of magic from a top quality player. Yeah, that's been my biggest problem with the New York Red Bulls is they press more than any other team in MLS. Yeah. But there's teams that are very similar. There is an FC Cincinnati that is a high pressing team in the attacking, attacking third. There is the Philadelphia Union that we're going to see yeah. tomorrow night tonight when this podcast comes out but the difference between the new york red bulls that are very high pressing and those two teams i just mentioned is there's actually an attack in front of that press there's an attack that's leading mm -hmm. that press and is dangerous in transition i was going back and looking at the new york red bulls stats for the season and kind of breaking down what other playoff teams look like and how many players they have that have scored double digit goals for the new york red bulls it's lewis morgan who scored the banger in this one the opener against fc cincinnati in that match mm -hmm. and then after that it's a bunch of guys lakinas has scored five there's a, a couple other guys that have scored five goals and aaron long is amongst their top five leading goal scorers with like two goals and both offset pieces or something like that so yeah. that's that's also a problem and that comes back to they don't have a guy like lakinas is probably brought in to be that guy and lewis morgan he is that guy they, they just don't have enough around them. They can press you to death. And some of their best moments of this year have been when they press you and go. Like there was a yeah. moment earlier this year, Klamala scored a goal. You know, they won the ball back two passes. He's putting it in the back of the net. And it was absolutely beautiful. But Klamala has been uh, completely underwhelming for this, this New York Red Bulls team. And so I'll be interested to see how they, how they rebuild going forward and maybe looking at the models of the teams we just mentioned. FC Cincinnati and the Philadelphia Union and seeing what kind of attacking pieces they can bring in that are going to lead that press from the front. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much more to add there. That's absolutely, I think, a perfect just representation of what the Red Bulls are, what they lack. And if they want to take the next step, it's unfortunate that they're going to have to break away from honestly one of the only teams where you can put like plug in every single week and say like this is what the red bulls are going to do right like teams adapt other teams in mls adapt the red bulls you know what they're doing it's sad that we're not going to see that but if the red bull organization wants to win and stop being so metro then maybe maybe you know change a little bit with the times people yeah and like i said like defensively it works they force fc cincinnati into one of their worst passing games of the season so defensively yeah. Great. Yeah. But now that we're speaking about the defense, there was kind of a head scratcher in a lineup selection from Gerhard Struber in this game. Andres Reyes at right back over Kyle Duncan, who uh, was transferred in the offseason, wasn't successful uh, over in Europe and, and came back. I think Kyle Duncan would have been a better matchup against the wingbacks of FC Cincinnati. To me, that was a head scratcher. What did you think of that one, Tom? 
I, I didn't get it. Uh, also because Gerhard Struber does not have success in the, in the results column when he plays four men in the back. You know, it's something that has been highly documented, especially living in the New York area. You follow a lot of New York guys and you see a lot of stats come out about the Red Bulls and NYCFC. And one of the stats that are out there heavily about the Red Bulls, especially um, during the 2022 season is Struber does not win with four in the back. You know, th that's why a lot of the time it was three in the back. It was wing backs. It was, it was a lot of flexibility there. So the fact that Struber decided in the most important game of the season for them to go to a formation that doesn't work for his team was a little, was a little curious to me. Um, and then especially now you're plugging in a center back at that right back position, a dude who it's not even like he, He's a former right back, and he's you know now you're, now you're asking him to go back out there and play that again. Andres Reyes is a center back, and he's he's a very good center back. But the the fact that you put him out there, and then you know his mistake leading to to the first goal for FC Cincinnati, I mean Struber set himself up for it. Yes, he did. And we're going to completely jump ship from this game really quick because this is completely on topic. The New York Red Bulls, like you just said they seem yeah. to be a lot better and are getting results when they play a three-back system. Okay. Now, there was another game on Friday. It was LA Galaxy versus Nashville. Nashville, since Shaq Moore has come into the side, have traditionally been playing a four-back system. And then, yeah. in a knockout round game, without your head coach there and a team that only gets production through who is probably going to be the MVP, Hani Mukhtar, you switch to a three-back and you lose. Like... Tom, I don't think either of us really know, but like try to wrap your head around that decision for us to switch from something that's working to something that hasn't worked in, in the past. I'm going to say it's centered around Gary Smith not being there for the match. I'm going to say it was, okay, like we are a very good defensive team. We like to hit on the counter. Hani's been doing great, right? Like, like this is how Nashville plays. So like let's like even more kind of fall into that, especially with, with Gary not there. And let's just play super defensive. We're on the road. We'll hit him on the counter. Hopefully, Hani makes a magic, and and we come out with the victory somehow. I don't think Nashville played to win. I'm very disappointed in how Nashville came out in the first round. They were one of two to three teams that I was like, you didn't you didn't play to win in the playoffs, and I'm happy you're eliminated for that reason. Um, I really just think it was Gary Smith wasn't there. They wanted to extremely fall hard into the defensive minded, hit him on the counter um, mentality that, you know, that, that Nashville has and that's a staple of theirs. And I mean, there was a few other um, decisions from the coaching staff of that starting 11 that we could dive into too, but definitely the, the transition from the three in the back uh, to the, sorry, the four in the back to the three in the back was, was, was a head scratcher. Yeah, Godoy started on the bench, Schaffelberg on the bench, their leader, Dax, Dax McCarty on yeah. the bench. None of those decisions uh, really made a great deal of sense to me, but that's kind of been a theme throughout these playoffs, just in round one and playoffs of the past as well. That being, do you start your guys or do you try to, you know, save their legs, bring them on in the 60th, playing for the tie coming into that moment? And then hopefully, you know, step on the burners for that last 30 and, you know, maybe go to extra time or have your best guys in uh, for the PK shootout. And that's happened in multiple games so far in just six games. This MLS Cup playoff so far. It's I don't know. It's like I guess you can make it as reasonable as you want to make it with whatever type of argument right like before you said like you know the stats kind of showed a different story of the results for the sc cincinnati red bull game 
you can make any type of persuasive argument you want to me, but at the end of the day, the results on the field are going to show the, the true picture. You can say, this is what we tried to do. This is what we wanted to do. That could be a complete lie straight to the fans face. At the end of the day, maybe Gary Smith and the rest of the coaching staff was just like, we're not winning this one. We'll see you in 2023, but they're never going to say that. Right. So it's, it, it was a lot of questionable decisions. Um, I don't know. Just I will leave it as Nashville was poor. Nashville did not try to win this game, and the Galaxy they got a they got a a nice easy confidence boosting dub in the, in these playoffs. Yeah. So that change of formation was the perfect segue into Nashville. We're gonna go back to FC Cincinnati really quick. So they're coming off back to back to back wooden spoons, and they just won their inaugural MLS Cup playoff match this past weekend uh, against the Red Bulls, like we said. And their game changers keep changing games as Luciana Costa and Brandon Vasquez each scored versus the Red Bulls to book their ticket to the Eastern Conference semis. Tom, what and who impressed you for FC Cincinnati in this victory? I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna single out – I could single out a lot of players, but I'll start with Roman Celotano in net. I think it takes a lot for, for a rookie goalkeeper to start year one and impress. I think it takes a lot for a rookie goalkeeper to start year one and impress – and be a team that makes the playoffs and then go into your first playoff match on the road against the high pressing Red Bull team, right? A team that, I mean, I think can be intimidating in its own right. And I think have a really good game, put out six saves in a, in a win where you, you know, you allow the one goal. It was an absolute banger from deep. It's not really your fault. Lewis Morgan just hit the absolute hell out of it. Um, so Roman Celotano really did impress me as a dude who, I think is like European quality. Like he's a dude who, if he puts up these performances continuously at a young age like this, like, you know, Cincinnati's going to get some, some cash in their pocket for, for a young talented goalkeeper. So Celotano will be the first dude that I'll start off with as very impressive um, against the Red Bulls, but I'll, uh, I'll let you dive into whoever you're thinking. I don't want to take away <laughs> your player pick. Oh no, man. I was, I was going to let you do your thing. I mean, so just touching on the Celentano thing, like I think that is, uh, it was, that's, that's huge MLS super draft pick. They have another super draft pick that plays along the back line. Ian Murphy, it believes his name. Yeah. They also got a couple MLS veterans this past offseason. Moreno, Alvis Powell and Ray Goddess actually came out of retirement to come back and well, play for Pat Noonan. That's, that's awesome. So they have that in their back pocket. And they also went out and spent some money on uh, Nuoboto, the center yes. defensive mid, who was also massive. And so all those guys, that, that's just the overall roster construction. And so I think Nuoboto had a pretty good game. Uh, Brandon Vasquez, obviously, there were only two nines that scored in these six games. Brandon Vasquez being one of them, absolutely cooking the U.S. men's national team's maybe starting center back that's not going to play for a month until the World Cup. He absolutely cooked him. Uh, Lucci was, was awesome. But I think one guy that I really want to touch on is Matt Miazga, who came over in the summer as well. He went like 15 for 15 on his duels, both um, on the ground and aerial duels, 100% in a game that it was going to be cagey. Uh, that's what the Red Bulls want to make it. And he won yeah. every single one of his battles. And so I know that we each put out our MLS team of the week. Um, for the first round of the, the MLS Cup playoffs, and Matt Miazga was was in my eleven in my uh, in my center back spot next to Kamal Miller, and I think he did a phenomenal job. And again, we talk about that roster construction from Pat Noonan and company for FC Cincinnati, and that's just a brilliant, brilliant signing. And I actually looked up the stats last night. 
he has a when he's on the field and like his 828 minutes they have a plus 10 goal differential and they have a rather average to below average defense pretty leaky right yeah and on average per 90 they have like a 0.98 positive goal differential so they're hmm. almost a goal better better than their opposition when matt miazga is on the field so that was a huge summer signing for fc cincinnati and those summer signings are coming to fruition in the yeah. fall when it's knockout games and he looked great I mean, two things there. One, Matt Miazga. I mean, I, I said this, I think it was two episodes ago on my podcast. Like, Matt Miazga could have the potential, like, Walker Zimmerman-esque effect that, that he had, that Walker has for Nashville. I think Miazga could have that effect for Cincinnati. Um, you know, I don't think Miazga is as good as Walker Zimmerman, obviously. But I think that he has the ability, especially in Major League Soccer, to bolster a back line strictly on his own pretty much right and and, and i think that especially when you get a, a, a league average player above slightly above average player and a nick Hagland, then obviously you have jeff cameron and maybe ian murphy takes that spot and, and you know you have murphy miazga and Hagland kind of rocking a back three for the next few years i like that for cincinnati i think that could be that, that could be a very a much better back line um and then the the second piece to to what you were just saying and kind of I don't know what you just said. I just went off a whole Matt, Matt Miazga train and that was just, wow, that's where my brain went. See, this is COVID brain. This is where COVID brain comes in. But you did say something else before of the the, the best 11 from the for opening weekend um, games. And my best 11 was just wild. I know it was wild, but I mean- It's on brand I have, for this podcast. It's perfect. I, exactly. My, my best 11 went wild, gone, went, uh, gone wild. But um, no, I have I have reasons for it. So we'll, we'll get to some of them. But um, I do think your best 11 was probably a more accurate representation, but I just, I wanted to definitely bring that up in this podcast. And I, I will say about Matt Miazga, I had Paul Tenorio, on the same week you had uh, Sam Stagecoll on your show. And that was right after the transfer window closed. And I asked him about yeah. Matt Miazga because I found that is a very interesting signing by FC Cincinnati, a very experienced guy that's bounced around Europe, hasn't necessarily found a home and comes back and, you know, is, is for playing for FC Cincinnati. And, you know, what a coincidence, his first playoff game back is against his, you know, boyhood club. But Paul Tenorio said that he has the potential of being one of the best center backs in all of MLS. And he has raised, he's raised both the ceiling and the floor of this FC Cincinnati team. And he has been phenomenal. We could beat the Matt Miazga drum all, <laughs> all evening long. Right. But we, we, we teased that Nashville LA galaxy match. We talked about Nashville. That's really all I, I run, wanted to talk about was that tactical change, which was very interesting to me, but we're talking about summer signings with Matt Miazga. The LA galaxy went out and got Ricky Pooch. believe I said that right. Brugman and Caceres, a Uruguayan international, they were all signed this Hummer, this summer Hummer, and had huge <laughs> games in round one. And like I said a minute ago, like a true sign of a really good summer signing is when they're producing in the MLS Cup playoffs in the autumn, in the fall. So while these teams like Toronto FC and LAFC went out and got the big names, Tom, do you think LA Galaxy actually did the best business this summer? I mean, I, I think so. And that was actually the point that I was going to go with before that I that I forgot that, you know, the summer signings that MLS teams make, 
you see which signings impact the team and which signings don't by who either makes the playoffs, who who has the, the quickest trip in the playoff world, right? Like you can look at Minnesota, we'll talk about, you know, they signed a DP winger or DP striker in Mender Garcia. Does anyone know that? Because Mender Garcia didn't really do anything for Minnesota United, but you, you just look broke, in comparison that was, to the that Galaxy, was a, like that you was just a, said, Ricky That Bush, was a Tom bomb for me. That was a Tom bomb. I didn't even know that. What's the guy's name? Uh, Mender Garcia. Does the guy play? Uh, he does. Well, I think he didn't. He didn't play against Dallas. I will say the Dallas Minnesota game was maybe the most COVID fog game that I have. So don't listen to my takes for that one. But um, he he has played. I think he scored like one goal in the regular season, if I'm not mistaken. So definitely just that. That's even more of a, of a factor of like you cover the league, you talk about the league every single week, and you didn't even know the Minnesota signed a DP that didn't impact their playoff performances. The Galaxy did. Um, I mean, Ricky Poosh being arguably the best player in MLS since he's arrived. Um, I think Brugman is wildly overlooked. I think he might potentially be a better signing than Ricky Poosh. Um, I'll say it. I think Poosh is the better player, but I think Brugman could be the better player in the Galaxy midfield to kind of <clears throat> connect it all and make make the, the midfield whole. But Caceres is a dude that I have to give love to in this game because he was so good. He's just such a veteran player, and the Galaxy defense has gotten shit on all, all season long. And Caceres, not that he's going to be the sole dude to fix it, but he's going to step in. He's just going to put in veteran performances every single time he shows out. He did that against Nashville, and I expect him to do it every single time he steps on the field for the Galaxy, and he'll get his World Cup time, and maybe he comes back next year. And I think if you're a Galaxy fan, you have to kind of hope you know, even in his older age, that you have a veteran center back coming back like Martin Caceres. Veteran is like an understatement. I think he's played in three World Cups, which is absolutely he's outrageous. 38, I think. <laughs> he's, he's one of the LeBrons of MLS. It, yeah. that, that's a retirement league signing, but he's in there making a difference. He's uh, Giorgio Chiellini, you know? That's exactly right, but he's actually playing. Chiellini's just yeah. waiting for his time <laughs> in the playoffs, I guess. But no, just to touch on that midfield again, Brugman, yes, I believe he is that steadying factor in the midfield. He provides that balance to allow Ricky Pooch to go find the game. And I think it's interesting that, you know, Delgado, Marky Delgado, who's a MLS vet who Greg Vanny brought in to, you know, be a piece of his midfield, uh, a pretty consistent piece. And Delgado looks really good and they're making him look better just because they are around him, um, which is what good signings do. You know, they they push an average MLS player, a veteran MLS player over the top a little bit and make them even more impactful. And I think that's something that Ricky Pooch and Brugman do really well. But in addition to their signings that we just talked about in the offseason, Greg Vanny, he has a huge history, storied history in the MLS Cup playoffs. He's been a head coach for eight years. It seems like way longer than that, unless my math is incorrect. But he's made the MLS Cup playoffs six of those eight years. And in 50% of those appearances in the playoffs, he's made the final. What do you think of that stat? That's kind of wild. He, he's either like, you know, like he's all or nothing. And I, I kind of like that about Greg Vanny. I think Greg Vanny's a really good head coach. I will give him that love. Obviously, you know, we've heard stories, especially coming out with, you know, Michele Giannone. He said that both Paul Ariola and Ilya Sanchez both were potentially going to sign for the Galaxy last offseason or wanted to sign for the Galaxy last offseason. 
with the the opportunity to play for Greg Vanny, like that that those are two big name players. Um, and, and I think that just kind of shows you how much respect is held for Greg Vanny in the league. I mean, personally, yeah, I think you have to throw Greg Vanny in what the top, the top three, four head coaches right now in major league soccer, a dude who, you know, he went back to his club that he was an MLS cup champion at as, as a player to, to lead them into a new generation. And I think Greg Vanny is doing that. I just think you're doing it in a city that's, you know, the fans want wins and um, you're doing it with the team playing across the street. That's, that's doing it a little bit better than you right now, but we'll see what the, at the end of the day, what happens in the next round of the playoffs. But I like Greg Vanny. I think um, I think he's he's steering the ship in the right direction. So speaking of that next round, this is going to be our first preview for the semifinals. We talked about FC Cincinnati, who advanced will play the Philadelphia Union. We just talked about the LA Galaxy, who are going to be playing crosstown rivals, LAFC yeah. and El Trafico. How much fun that will be. Both of those games today, because you'll be listening today. Uh, we're actually recording on Wednesday late, late in the evening. But both of those games will be happening tomorrow. Conference final matches. So some stats for you, Tom, before we get into the, the predictions and, the, and a little bit of the preview, what you think of the game. So in the last three years, at least one number one seed has been eliminated in their first match of the MLS Cup playoffs. Okay, a little alarming. And furthermore, Tom Bogert tweeted it out today. Just one number one seed in either conference has made the final in the last 10 years. All right, so I'm just going to put it to you this way, Tom. If you had to choose, which of these two number one seeds is more likely to lose their conference semifinal, LAFC versus the Galaxy or the Union versus their ex-assistant coach, Pat Noonan, in FC Cincinnati? I think LAFC is more likely to lose their their match against the Galaxy over over the Union-Cincinnati game. I 100% agree with that. Any reason why for you, Tom? I think there's, I mean, like, look, I, I am definitely not one to see El Trafico and go, oh my God, I have to watch this game. I'm not one of those people. I know that there's a million of them out there in the MLS world. I get it. It's LA. It's a rivalry. Like there's been heated matchups. I get it. I just think that there's like three other rivalry matches better, but there is, this is a rivalry game. There is a lot of passion and, and heat behind it. Um, we've seen these teams go off three times against each other this year due to the the open cup match that they had as well um galaxy look good and play good against lafc they've done it historically they've done it this year chicharito shows up especially during during el trafico matchups and when you have your mvp candidate showing up and scoring goals that's typically typically a good thing. Um, you know, uh, Raheem Edwards, I think he's the first player to transition over from L.A. side to L.A. side during um, the L.A.F.C. era of Major League Soccer. He, he added a little bit of uh, a little bit of hate onto the field last time they played. So I just think there's a lot of fun aspects to this. But at the end of the day, I think the Galaxy do well against L.A.F.C. It's the playoffs. Greg Danny knows how to win. Um the LAFC is still kind of going through a little bit of a turmoil, I would say. I think in their last five games, they have two losses, uh, two losses and a draw. And I really think that Galaxy playing well, Galaxy playing well against LAFC, that's kind of why I'm leaning, leaning more that way. I've heard a lot of Galaxy fans say it, and it's been the first time they've been able to say it all year and maybe in a, a, a year or two. that This is the first time all season or maybe longer that they can predict the starting eleven. They know who they're going to have. They know who their go-to guys are. 
And when you look at LAFC, they brought in all these big name players and okay, are they going to come off the bench? Are they going to start? So they're kind of in flux. They, they have their players. They have their guys that they want, that they went out and got for a reason for the playoffs, but I'm not so sure they necessarily have an identity yet. I don't think so. I think that's the the difficulty about kind of rotating out or, or getting rid of some of maybe like the Danny Musovskis of, of the roster and replacing it with a Gareth Bale, right? Like you're clearly, Gareth Bale is a better soccer player than Danny Musovsky. I am sorry, Danny, to break it to you, but that is the truth. That's a um, hot take right there, Tom. <laughs> um, so, you know, like, but, but the thing that you lose in a Danny Musovsky trade in upgrading in talent, you, you lose locker room cohesion. You you lose guys who have been there, who train every single day with the Kellen Acosta, with the Diego Palacios, whatever it may be, right? So so you just lose that, that cohesive um, energy in the locker room. And I think, you know, we, we've, we've seen it, right? Like LAFC created a, a FIFA best 11 type team for, 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 for their club. But at the end of the day, real life doesn't work like FIFA or football manager. Real life works with real guys, their mentality, their their energy in the locker room. And if the energy isn't there, we've seen it in, in videos and photos that they look like they get along together. But if Trundolo can't get these guys to play and be cohesive as a team, it's not going to mean a damn thing at the end of the day when Chicharito's scoring the game winner on you. Like, it is what it is. Yeah, they won the supporter shield. All credit to them. They had a phenomenal season. It came down to the very last very last week with the Philadelphia yeah. Union and uh, Club Day Foot Montreal kind of on their tails. But they endured the 34-game week season, and they did well. So kudos to them. But, like, that's just, you know, that's a trophy. But the yeah. big one is MLS Cup, and that's why they went out and spent money and got these guys. So And they've um, said that they want to win MLS Cup. They said that that is a goal of theirs. Well, it looks like you're playing for 2023 if, if, if you guys can keep the roster together to me, because I don't think you're, you're playing for 2022 right now. Right. We've, we've name dropped some players, especially on the galaxy with the guys in the midfield. But one name I do want to mention that could be an X factor in this match, Alex Ruiz uh, tweeted it out. And he said, Samuel Grandseer in his last four games against LAFC, two goals yeah. and four assists. He said, it's a, he's a player to definitely keep your eyes on. And I completely agree. When everybody's eyes are going to be on the ex-Barcelona man, Ricky Puj, keep your eyes on Grand Seer as well. Um, let's just take a look at the, the Philly game, uh, Philly FCC game, because that's also a really interesting one. Philly have not lost at home all season. The only Eastern Conference playoff team they have lost to, huh, who could it be? Could be uh, FC Cincinnati, Pat Noon, and a man that knows them all too well. Two of the most prolific attacks in all of MLS I believe Lucho Acosta, Brenner, and Vasquez have 48 goals combined now when you add in those two from this past game. And then Daniel Gazdag, Mikel Ura, and Julian Carranza have 49. So just one more goal. Then you add on your goalkeeper of the year, Andre Blake, and the, the, the midfield that they have and the defense that they have. They're, they're crazy. How do you see this game going? Is it going to be close? I mean, Philly's put up some touchdowns, but, you know, FCC can score too. And I'm going to leave you with this quote before you go. For okay. FC Cincinnati, they say offense wins you games, defense wins you championships. We know FC Cincinnati can score. Can they score on the best defense historically in MLS? And can their leaky defense, which has improved with Matt Miazga, stop that prolific offense of Ura, Gazdag, and Carranza? I I was sitting back thinking about this before as I was as I was writing some notes for for this show. And you know, part of me is like, 
I think Cincinnati really does have a shot, right? Like between the staff that knows the Philadelphia Union organization, the players, you mentioned Ray Gaddis before. Um, Sergio Santos. And, yeah, Sergio Santos. The just the and the absolute style that they play, the performances that Cincinnati has put up against Philadelphia this year as well is it all kind of leans it into being like since he has a shot, but since he also has a shot to be down two nothing after 28 minutes because the Philadelphia Union are just going to absolutely run at this back line. You know, I like Alvis Powell a lot, but you do not ask Alvis Powell to defend one-on-one. And when Julian Carranza or Mikel Ore or Daniel Gazdag is running at Alvis Powell, he's not winning. I'm sorry. But like, it's just, there, there's so many aspects to this that I'm like, I want to, you know, I want to give Cincinnati a shot. Um, I just don't think they have it in this one. I think, you know, guys, you made the playoffs, you won a game, good for you. Like, I'm really proud of you, boys. I really am. But Philly is absolutely going to handle business. Um, Jim Curtin is arguably the best coach in this league for a reason. And he knows what he taught Pat Noonan and the boys. And he's, he's going to do his game plan, right? Um, I think this could be a very high scoring game. I think this could legitimately be like a six to three game, like not even like not even joking about that. That could legitimately be a scoreline here. But I just think at the end of the day, what, what Philly has in 2022 is absolutely ridiculous, especially if Ale Bedoya plays. And I, I will give Philadelphia the, um, the, the, the go ahead here. You said six, three. If the, if the union give up three goals, Jim Curtin's going to have those boys at Subaru Park running laps after that game. <laughs> <laughs> I got to give I got to give Cincinnati some credit. Look, they they do know Jim Curtin and his style and Brenner, uh, Lucho and Vasquez are, are sick three. So I'm giving one each and then, <laughs> and then we'll see what happens. All right. Real quick before we get off of this matchup, take their teams out of it and their defenses, whatever. If you had to match up those front three in a three V three match. Who's coming out on top in that one? Oh, or who I'm do you just, or who do you just like better? If I'm just looking at a front three, I like Cincinnati's front three better than I like Philadelphia's front three. But when you're looking at the whole team, it's Philadelphia. Nah, we're not looking at the whole team. I agree with that though. I think Cincinnati. And so the reason I say Cincinnati is because I think Lucia Costa is a completely different number ten than Daniel Gazdag is. Completely yeah. different. He's much yeah. more of a facilitator, whereas Daniel Gazdag is. I'm going to show up late in the box. I'm basically a false nine, and I'm going to finish off those, yeah. those goals. He can, he can connect the play, but he's not the true, like, South American number 10 like Lucia Costa is. Gazdag, they almost play with three three forwards. They almost play with three strikers, pretty much, Philly. And and, and that makes them scary in their own right, um, which, again, goes back to the point of makes Ali Bedoya that much more important to to bring some just solidity to the midfield. So I'll leave it at that. All right, so let's get on to the two seeds. MVP finalist Sebastian Driussi stole the show for Austin FC with his brace to force PKs, where they eventually went on to win 3-1. With their come-from-behind victory, Austin became the only team in league history to come back from two goals behind to win four times in his single season. Keeping that in mind, what has impressed you about this Austin FC team in year two, and what does it say about this team's character and mentality to continuously perform and come back when their backs are against the wall? 
I was going to say their heart is the thing that impresses me. So I'll kind of go down that road, right? Like at the end of the day, Josh Wolf has instilled some type of, you know, we want to talk about RSL and their ex-dog. Let's talk about Austin FC and their ex-dog, right? Like he's, he's just instilled some type of mentality in his players of no matter what, like we're, we're able to come back into a game because we have the talent, we have the players, we have the skill, the energy, the effort, whatever it may be to come back and to win any single game that we play in against whatever, uh, whatever opponent, especially at Q2 Stadium. Um, you know, I think that, that that's even more of a, of a boost for this Austin FC side. So I think Josh Wolf coming into his own even more as a manager in year two is something that impresses me because what he's been able to put into his players mentality wise is the thing that I think kind of sets Austin apart from maybe where they're lacking bits and pieces of talent. And I think when you say heart, the one thing I think of is, is their fans at Q2 stadium. Like they, they sold out in what five to six minutes for that opening round match, this upcoming one against FC Dallas. I'm sure that they're, they probably sold out in record time (laughs) there as well. I mean, look, the, the, the stadium, the environment, the fans are awesome. They're sick. I have a, of a friend who I grew up with in New York. Um, he moved to, he moved to Austin two years ago, a year and a half ago, something like that, like that at this point because of his job um, and his job gets free tickets to go to see Austin FC matches. So he goes, but he was like, he's the type of guy who like hates the really good team because the team's really good. So he walks into Austin FC matches and he's like, I can't stand anyone here because all they do is gloat that they win. All they do is have like a great time. And I'm like, so you just hate fun and pretty much. Yes. So he's definitely given me a good idea and representation that Q2 seems like a party on Austin FC game day. And I, and I absolutely love it. Yeah. And their year two turnaround has been one of the best. Yeah this season alongside of, you know, FC Cincinnati and enter Miami. But I do want to touch on Driussi, who's probably going to finish second. I would say in the MLS MVP voting, probably behind Mukhtar. Yeah. Unfortunately, Driussi just showed out in the playoffs, but voting is already done two goals in this game to, to help them advance. They were down two. he scores two, one on a phenomenal header. I'm not sure how tall Sebastian Driussi is, but that boy floated to flick that thing <laughs> to the back stick. That was sick, man. I don't think he's very tall, but look, the dude's an absolute baller at the end of the day. Like, you know, when you are down and you need a goal, you need a momentum swing, you need something to shift, right? That Josh Wolf mentality, you need something to kind of get you kicked forward into the next direction. You need your MVP dude to to go out and, and make that play. So Sebastian Drewsi, you know, he does it, he did it. And I'm, I mean, you can't say anything bad about the guy. Like he's, he's doing he's trying to pull a lot of strings he's doing a lot for this austin team and um in the next round i'd like to see him get a little bit of help but we'll we'll, we'll get into that yeah and a guy that is pulling the strings i believe he leads mls in assists diego fagundes he gave that uh, assi- he gave that assist to drew that was you said he's yeah. second yeah lucho was first behind lucho okay i knew he was he was top one or two but it was a phenomenal assist from diego and he's been absolutely yeah. phenomenal um, for Josh Wolf and Austin FC this year. And it, what's crazy to me is they're, they've been so good in year two. They really haven't, they didn't make too many huge signings in this offseason. And they guys, they have guys like Nick Lima at right back, Gallagher at left back, and he's a converted left back. Like he was yeah. a, a, what, a right winger, left winger? It was more of an attacking player. And they have him playing left back, which is, which is crazy to me. But that game was absolutely bonkers. 
you add in the Rubio Rubin second yellow card with the stupid slide tackle on Stuver. Uh, and then the game completely changed. I mean, Austin FC sent in 60 crosses, which is absolutely berserk. I will say with the 60 crosses, we got to see Zan Komanich crossing the ball probably 40 times with his left foot. And my God, the guy serves in an absolute dime, a beautiful outswinger with his left foot. It's, it's phenomenal. I loved watching it. I could have watched it all day. And then I think they had something like 38 shots. So the complete game state changed um, after that Rubio Rubin second yellow when he was sent off. But, you know, I, I think that we, without digging too deep into RSL, like this could have been their second straight time, second straight year advancing as the se- seventh seed. They beat yeah. who last year, Seattle, and then Sporting Kansas City, and then yeah. went on and, you know, lost Colorado. The They're not Colorado. You you get it. Never mind. I'm, yeah, I'm they lost, yeah, they lost in the Four. Western Conference final. They almost <laughs> did it again this year. And for them, for it to take 94 minutes and a really harsh penalty kick on Steve Caldwell as he was kind of turning his back, that's a really tough way to go out for Pablo Mestrani and his guys. And I think we'll leave the RSL portion at this. It's a quote from Pablo. He said, that's soccer. And unfortunately, it is. That's the beautiful game that we love. And it can be very, yeah. very cruel sometimes. But we'll stay on the number two seeds, CF Montreal. They might have put on the most dominant performance of round one. They won 2-0 thanks to goals from Georgie Mihailovic and Ishmael Kone. They dominated possession 59-41 and conceded zero shots on target to Orlando City. Tactically, CF Montreal, they, I think, interest me maybe more than any other team in this field, maybe despite New York City FC. We'll get into that matchup. Tom, what did you like about CF Montreal's performance on Sunday? Bro, their passing just is so pretty. Like the way they just like they keep possession within, you know, their their own team for so long and just wait out that 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 right moment for 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 the final attack. And I think the build-up to the Ismael Kone goal is just an absolute perfect representation of this. If you guys want to see um, just some beautiful soccer, just watch that Ismael Kone highlight. See if you can get the extended version of them just banging it around in Orlando City's half of the field because it was absolutely just absolutely beautiful build up leading into an absolutely um, beautiful finish. I I think Montreal underneath Wilfred Nancy plays beautiful soccer. It's just it's just just appealing to the eye. I'm not that tactical of a person. I, I said this when you were on my podcast. You were way more tactical than me, Blake. So I don't know what I'm looking at all the times, but I do know when something's nice to my eye, I, I know what that looks like. And that's what Montreal does. And thank you for not overthinking it because I didn't want to overthink it. Montreal is really good at soccer as our Philly, as our New York city FC. Those are just really good soccer teams and they're really fun to watch. And Montreal, the thing that really stood out to me is just, and it's been the case all year. They're outside backs. Well, they're wing backs, Alistar Johnson and Lapanainen. I think I said that right. Probably not, but they're flying up and down the wings. So they don't need a winger and that frees up their guys in the middle. And then on top of that, Victor Wanyama, who's going to be gone after this year, and uh, Piet, who's going to be going to the World Cup for Canada. Those guys are so crucial to the balance in that midfield, which allows guys like Georgi Mihailovic and Ishmael Kone, who usually doesn't even start, but Romel Kyoto was out injured, couldn't play a full 90, 60, 30. He came on towards the end of the game, I believe, but Ishmael Kone started in place of him. And what that did is they don't need those guys out wide. Yes, they might go support those wide areas. Georgie more so on the right, Kone more so out on the left. But they're playing like dual number 10s, which is 
incredibly difficult to defend, especially when yeah. you take into consideration the type of attention that Kai Kamara demands up top where he has two center backs marked up on him and they're basically keeping an eye on him. They're, they can't step up to defend uh, Mihailovic and Kone in those half spaces. So those guys are able to collect the ball turn and facilitate in the most dangerous area of the field zone 14. So that's, that's my biggest tactical takeaway from them is just how they're set up and how their midfield allows for their, their dual number tens to do what they do. And their their wing backs to just be absolutely phenomenal. And then, you know, I'm a crew fan. So I'm a, I, I hate how we move the ball and how slowly we move the ball and how predictable it is. And the interchange is slow. Like you see how fast the ball moves with these really good teams, CF Montreal being one of them. And that interchange that happens constantly moving, switching positions with one another. There's, being, a, plan. There's a plan and it, it works so well. Exactly. And you touched on that goal by Ishmael Kone. I believe it was like a 26 pass interchange. There was 18, I believe, um, Orlando got a touch and then it was eight passes again. And it was a sharp up back and through one of their, mm-hmm. I think it was their right side center back. I believe found Kai Kamara who laid it off. I don't even know if he meant to, I think he was trying <laughs> to hold up play at that point, but he laid it off to Georgie Mihailovic who was already anticipating the layoff and then yeah. found Kone. And as they're doing this interchange and in movement, Orlando's defense is shifting and moving. And when they're doing that, uh, it, it's game over with a with the exactly. CF Montreal team. Antonio like that. Carlos stepped a little bit too out of position, and it was just it was all over. Yeah, they were CF Montreal's playing chess, Orlando playing checkers. <laughs> Orlando still drunk from the Open Cup trophy. Exactly, and that's my thing. We won't dive too deep in, into Orlando because we've been going for a minute. But Orlando won their first trophy in club history this year. They have two DPS that are hitting their David Goss theorem year next year, year two, mm-hmm. right? And Orlando fans probably aren't thrilled to lose their opening match this year, but they should feel content knowing that there's a, there's a trophy in the cabinet, not just dust. So yeah, you got a trophy, you got a spot in CCL, go enjoy it, go enjoy it, get, get Pato back and we'll see what happens. Exactly. So we'll keep it moving to the team that Club de Foot Montreal will be playing for a spot in the Eastern Conference playoffs, the defending MLS cup champs, your boys, the citizens, New York city FC Tom, I'm going to hand it over to you uh, to just basically talk about their 3-0 thrashing over Miami. What'd you like? Who stood out to you? And is this team peaking again at the very right time? We've been peaking since the League's Cup, bro. Come on now. Come on. No, I mean, look, I, 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 as a fan of this team, I am a very nervous watcher. You do not want to watch a soccer game with me where I actually care about the result because, boy, am I probably annoying my fiance. It, uh, I, I, like I said, I had COVID, so I'm laying in bed watching the game. My fiance is sleeping on the couch so she doesn't get sick. We live in a very uh, small apartment, and she just hears me, like, kind of, like, slightly cheering and slightly just talking to myself about how annoyed I am about certain passes or whatever. And she was like, you're sick. Go to bed. And I'm like, no. Um, but I am, I am sick. I, I am the meme. We, I am the sicko, you know? <laughs> Sick of with COVID, stressing right. myself out, watching NYCFC beat Miami. But, like, I was nervous because everyone's hyping up Miami before this game, right? Gonzalo Higuain and Pozuelo's potentially back. Are we going to see Campana play? And Miami's the team destiny and blah, 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 right? Like, New York City, I know we had the whole stadium issue with this one, but at the end of the day, showed their quality and showed that that, that I think New York City is an absolute title contender um, in this one. You know, you said to kind of mention people who impressed you in this one. 
that's a lot of people. Gabby Pereira, I think, might be the most impressive person coming out of this game. His goal was absolutely beautiful. And I mean, it's always the it's always the first goal with the jump start, right? So he really came out and, and he did his thing. But Santi Rodriguez, he had two assists in this one, the goal to Gabby Pereira, the goal to Maxi. Um, a bear was chomping at the bit for one and he finally got his late. Like at the end of the day, everyone on this team is just kind of very fluid and and, and kind of just knows where the next pass should be. Like I just said with Montreal, they know where the next player should be on this team. Alexander Kynes may be the only asterisk to that because at, at, at points, Cushing just lets the dude do whatever he wants. And I absolutely love it playing from left back. But um, this team still has so much quality. This team has, has not lost in their last five games. And I think New York City is going to give Montreal a very good game. And that's all I have to say. I will be nervously watching that one as well. Like I said about Club de Foot Montreal and Philly, New York City FC are a really good team. I like the shout that you gave, uh, the name drop, Gabby Pereira. Since Tati Castellanos left in, I believe, what, July? Gabby Pereira is your guys' leading goal scorer with five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so he has stepped up exponentially, has been a really, really good signing. And his goal? Against Inter Miami, absolute banger, top shelf, and it was like casual. He just smashed it, and it was all right. But the Gabby Pereira is going to prove to be a better young talent than anyone on that roster. I want to even throw in Taos Magno on that. Gabby Pereira is a very good player, and he is someone that I think MLS fans will will learn his name after these playoffs. I was going to say, you guys didn't even have Talish Magno in this match. Will mm -hmm. he be back for this upcoming he game? He should be back. Him and I, I, Tavon Gray, I think, is the question mark of if Gray will be back for the next match. But Magno should be back. I thought Anton Tinnerholm, I thought he did just fine at right back. No? No. You see, if, I, if I'm going to poke a hole into anyone in the NYCFC lineup, it, it's Anton Tinnerholm. I know he got, like, a secondary assist in this one. But, like, he he had a rough game. I'm really glad to see him go for a full 90 because we haven't seen that since his return from injury. We haven't seen the same Anton Tenerholm since his return from injury. Um, and having him step up in, in you know, the, mo the most important game of the season, it was really, was really nice to see. But he had some sloppy passes. Um, it just, it's not the same Anton. And, you know, unfortunately, I don't think he's going to be back next year. And if this is the final ride, then I want to see him get minutes. But if it's going to come at a detriment to the team, then maybe, you know, we get, we get Tavon Gray back a little bit, a little bit faster. Yeah. I hear you. And so Talis should be coming back. I hope that he plays on the left wing because I think a bear added a dimension to New York city FC up top. I haven't watched New York city FC week in and week out and a bear mm -hmm. might not be scoring all the goals, but I remember vividly watching him in this match against into Miami and just his hold up play and his ability to play combination was was just so so good his his one touch and just finding little angles to combine with the Santi to combine with the Gabby to combine yeah. combine with the Maxi it's so good and one more name I want to name drop well actually two more that Santi was freaking phenomenal he was my number 10 in my team of the week that goal that Maxi scored I remember watching Santi he got the ball at the midfield line hit the big switch to whoever the left winger was then it, yeah, then again, he popped up like on the top of the 18, just kind of roaming around there looking for the ball. The ball worked its way back over to the right, and then he made a 30-yard sprint from the, you know, 10 yards outside of the top of the 18 to the near stick, and then the little 
saucy little soul roll back to max he was just phenomenal i mean it was like a 26 29 second play and he popped up all over the field and that's so hard to defend and that's just santi like we talk about that interchange with club to foot montreal that's exactly what new yeah. york city fc does as well that south american connection that those guys have in the attack is so hard to defend and they're fun and one more maxi yeah. the deep line playmaker is unreal yeah. i think you play him there the rest of MLS Cup playoffs, whether it's Acevedo or Keaton Parks next to him, Maxi is the deep line playmaker is unreal. I I think I, I yes, I agree. I think if we could keep Talis on the wing once he gets back, you keep Ibera up top, Gabby on the other wing. Um, and then you keep Maxi as a as a deep line playmaker next to Acevedo. I think that works. I don't think we're gonna see Keaton Parks 90 minutes fit for, for these entire playoffs. I just don't think it's possible. But him coming off as, as a spark plug off the bench, I think is absolutely beautiful. And I'm not upset about it at all. He 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 completely changes the way NYCFC plays when he's in the when he's in the game completely so yep. i'm not upset about it would i rather him start get me a full 90 minutes of course but obviously health is a is a thing the thing that i want to point out about maxi morales though as a deep line playmaker he had 106 touches in this game he touched the ball over 100 times setting up everything like like maxi i know he's not a 10 now but maxi morales is deserved of one of the best tens in major league soccer history and he's not going to get the credit he, he he should get but what he has done for nycfc since he has arrived obviously now winning numerous trophies not getting the respect that i think he he should so go watch your maxi tape people because the dude's an absolute baller that's all i gotta say one of my favorite moments was after the match i forget who came up to him it might have been a collective number of players but just came up to him and hugged him like because they, they recognized they recognized how big of a performance that was yeah. how much of a an emotional leader he probably is for this team and like like he's the he's the veteran force for so much of these younger guys right like santi gabby um tiago andrash um talis magno like they're all like less than 23 years old like yeah. they're all very young and they can look up to a guy like maxi who's been there done that you know, he's played in Europe, he's played in Mexico, he's killed it at the MLS level. Like they can look at it, not literally look up to him, but they can look up to Maxi and just be like, you know, like this is how we are going to be a professional like Maxi Morales. And Maxi Morales is a just the epitome of a pure professional uh, on and off the field. So I, I have no, no negative word to say about Maxi Morales and, and the absolute leader he is for, for this NYCSC squad. Yeah, he's he's the dad of this team. He's the leader, right? And I think he's just he's back there pulling the strings as that deep line playmaker. You know, he's not going out there making he's still making spectacular plays, but he's pulling the strings from deeper. And he's kind of got that old man strength, right? Like you ever play yeah. against old guys in basketball or anything, <laughs> and they're just better than you. And it doesn't even look like they're trying. And no. I feel like that's I feel like that's that's Maxi. At this he point. can't run like he like he did in 2020 or 2020 or he can't can't run like he did anymore i'll just leave it at no. that but he's he's still impacting the game and i think that just shows you how good of a player he is tom quickly if i would have told you that new york city fc are a win away from the eastern conference finals take this back to when tati left and they went on that skid that winless skid for a while would you believe me no, not not during the skid. After Tati left, I wasn't all doom and gloom. I thought the team still had enough quality to be competitive and be a good team. Um, clearly, we we do. <laughs> um, but you know, obviously, that skid put a put a put a few um, knives and hearts during that that time. 
yeah, I had my doubts. They dropped out of my MLS gone wild power rankings for a couple weeks. And then again, they started Nick Cushing started to get the guys back in form and they started getting some results and some big results. And here they are, like I said, one win away from the Eastern conference final, a return to the Eastern conference final. And at that point it's, you know, it's anybody's ball game and they've been there before. So they know how it goes, but give me a score prediction. You were the New York city FC fan. Give me the score prediction as they travel North. To Club de Foot Montreal. I'm going to go 2-1 NYCFC. Who scores? It is going to be, ooh, it's going to be uh, Gabby Pereira. It is going to be Maxi Morales. And I'll give the, the, the Montreal score to Kai Kamara. Mm. Legend of the game. So glad, Legend. so glad to see him back in MLS and absolutely thriving this year. Love it, love it. He was he was my vote for uh, comeback player of the year because he didn't really go anywhere, but like just coming back from not having a team, I guess is is, is where he's coming back from. But I, I love Kai. Exactly for a guy that might have thought maybe his career was over because he retired from international football to you know trying yeah. to find a club and. CF Montreal brings him in and Mason toy hasn't been the guy has struggled with injury. Kai Kamara is that guy. And he scored what double digit goals this year's third all time on the list. Like it's, it's really he, he's third all time. And like, just the fact that he keeps scoring is so stupid. Like just, there's no other word to describe it. It, it doesn't make sense, but Kai Kamara has always played the way Kai Kamara has played. So, yeah. All right, our last quarterfinal match, FC Dallas versus Minnesota United FC. Two things about this game, Tom. Jesus Ferreira, although he was offsides, he put a header over the bar in the first half that was eerily similar to what happened in Japan. And then he choked on a ball sitting just outside of the six. So are you concerned about his confidence heading into Qatar? Yes, he was just named Young Player of the Year today by the MLS pundits who voted, but are you concerned about him? No, I think Jesus Ferreira, I think there's other aspects of the USMNT that I will be more concerned about than Jesus Ferreira's confidence. Um, at the end of the day, this is still a dude who's bagged 18 goals the past the, the past season. Um, if he scored, if he could score 18 goals in a season and rack up some awards and not have confidence, then there's again, there's there's bigger issues. Um, I think Jesus Ferreira's confidence is fine. I think at the end of the day, he's just still a very young player. Like he's been around for so long that it makes it almost seem like he's like 25, 26 years old. Um, no, he's still on the you know the U22 like eligible list for for Major League Soccer here, right? Like Jesus Ferreira is coming into his own still and i have zero worries about him as a striker in his career leading into guitar um i'm probably a minority in this conversation but i'm used to that so it's fine so i'm not worried i think that i think i have concerns about his confidence just because of some of the misses we've seen but michele giannone said something to me on the podcast i had with him not too long ago and he said like it doesn't really matter who the number nine is you know, we just have to be able to supply them with good service. Um, and that, that's, that's been an issue. There's been an issue in the buildup. So, you know, forget about that. But I was happy to see <laughs> Jesus Ferreira step up in the PK shootout and bury his PK. So if there was a lack of confidence, that should take a step in the right direction for him. So 
So that was good. Yeah. Him and Velasco on the um on, that on was the PK that was too. my second thing I wanted to bring up. Not a question, but holy shit, what a ballsy penalty kick! Yeah, I love it. I mean, I I, don't, I forgot who it was, but I retweeted it, and it was just like someone don't show that PK to Chicharito because mm. it's so it's so <laughs> goddamn true. For for Velasco, who just he didn't have a he didn't have a strong game against Minnesota, I would say in the in the you know actual play on the field. For a dude who who went out with that performance, now you step up to a PK and you go for the second Penanka, like that's ballsy. I mean, I love it because I like ballsy players, but maybe don't do that again. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Yeah, that had me on the edge of my seat. Alan Velasco, hell of a penalty kick. Alan Velasco also had a pretty good defensive game. I mean, a $7 million man, they used the peppy yeah. money to go out and get him. I wouldn't have expected to see him out there sliding, pressing, winning tackles, getting ball recoveries. I thought he was really, really good, even though he wasn't electric offensively throughout the whole match. I thought that he put in a hell of a shift. But, Tom, we're going to close this episode out with our prediction for the Copa Tejas between Austin FC and FC Dallas. They have drawn both matches this year, but the stakes are a little bit higher in this one, Tom. A spot in the Western Conference Finals are on the line. Who do you have taking this one and why? I, this is so tough. This was honestly the toughest prediction uh, of any game, I think, um, leading into this. But if I had to go with a choice here, I'm going with FC Dallas to take the win. I think that you get Velasco confident again. I think him, especially coming off of injury, I think you get Ferreira confident again. Ariola, I thought was fantastic in against Minnesota. The defense is so strong. Like that back line of Farfan, Martinez, Hedges, Tumasi, and Pais and Net or Pais. I'm not exactly sure you say his name. Sorry, Martin. Um, but that back line is absolutely so strong. And you know what? Austin left me with a lot of question marks after the RSL game. Sure, there are some question marks on the Dallas side as well, but I have a little bit more faith in Dallas's defense to hold up against Austin, and I think Dallas takes the, the win in Copa Tejas. Dallas was, I believe, the second-best defensive unit in the league. Mm -hmm. We're looking at goals against. Austin FC, not so much. And we know what FC Dallas can do kind of in transition, and Austin FC loves to be ball-dominant. So they may get caught with the back line here and there. Um, so transition game could be important for FC Dallas. I'll go ahead and give my prediction. Did you give a score there? Sorry, I was watching uh, the New York Knicks throw up a prayer at the end of the game in overtime. Yeah, um, I I turned the Knicks game off like like forever ago because I just I can't stand watching it at this point. It, it, went, to over, it went to overtime and they just threw up a buzzer beater and he missed it, unfortunately. That's the, it's shocking. I'm shocked. The Knicks give you hope and then just steal it all away, just like the New York Mets did this year. <laughs> um, oh, pick, scoreline, yep. Um, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go like – a one nothing game like this is like this is a low scoring like probably the worst game of the four type of game so i'm going one nothing dallas over austin okay i'm gonna go just for the absolute mls gone wild chaos of it all i'm going one one we're going to pks and fc dallas is going to win it on pks because i think they're perfect 17 for 17 pks in their last three shootouts so we're going one one through the 90 through extra time, we're going to PKs and FC Dallas is winning it because they don't lose in PKs. Does Velasco Penanka? I mean, yeah, I think so. You have to. <laughs> you have to, right? You just got to do it. You just got to always Penanka now. <laughs> All right, Tom. Well, thanks for hopping on MLS Gone Wild, my man. 
Yeah, no, of course. It was, uh, it was great to be here. Great to make my debut, man, of course. Listeners, thanks for tuning in to MLS Gone Wild, episode 91, featuring Tom Sweezy of MLS Aces. It's been a wild MLS Cup playoffs already, and that continues tonight with FC Cincinnati versus the Union and El Trafico. Catch the other two semifinals this Sunday on ESPN. If you loved, hated, or merely want to chat about today's episode's topics, please follow and interact with us on Twitter at MLS Gone Wild and at MLS Aces. We'll be bringing you coverage throughout the entirety of these playoffs, so be sure to follow and subscribe to both of our channels. Until next time, enjoy the playoffs and take care of yourselves and one another. Peace. Peace.